Warning, the following content occasionally contains adult themes and language, which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. another episode of cinematic rewind today joining me are my wonderful co-host cookie hello everybody out there and region hey you guys <laughs> if you can't tell by region's little intro there we're going to be talking about the 1985 film the goonies which has a 7.8 out of 10 on imdb a 76 on rotten tomatoes and a 62 on Metacritic. So, funny enough, this was one of the movies where it's a cloudy picture of whether I was allowed to watch it or not growing up, because I was allowed to watch bits and pieces of it, but I was not allowed to watch the entire thing. Wait a second. That just sounds weird. Yeah. That's like the epitome of half-assing it. You can, you can watch some of this, but not all of it. What? <laughs> why? So, I actually don't know the reason why I wasn't allowed to watch the full thing. I just know I wasn't. And when we were allowed to watch the bits and pieces of it, we had to watch it on cable TV when we eventually did get cable. I got a question for that. So when you say you got to see bits and pieces, was it like they had you like close your eyes, you know, cover your ears or anything like that during certain parts and then they would let you watch more or were they like turn the channel away, then come back to it? Like, how did you see parts of it? I think we saw parts of it because they would change the channel whenever bits of it would come up that they didn't like or didn't want us to see or whatever it would be. And there were times where they would do the thing from Elf where they're like loud noises. And so they would make you put your hands on your ears and then just go la 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 pretty loud so you couldn't hear what was about to be said. I think for this movie, it was the changed channel. Learn something new all the time about you. Mm, yeah, very interesting childhood. Yes, three words. I'm so sorry. Yeah. That wasn't that bad. So I just finished watching this movie all the way through Tuesday night. And I think I told you guys while I was watching it, I it was hard to see Sean Astin as a literal child. And then Regent responded, young Josh Brolin. And I could not find Josh Brolin in this movie. I have no clue where he was. Are you being sarcastic? No, no, seriously. I, I did not know. You mean the tall, skinny guy that was doing the workouts? You didn't know that was Josh Brolin? That's Josh Brolin. <laughs> sure. What? I'm here thinking you really are just joking with us. <laughs> <laughs> no. He's literally on the theatrical poster cover. But it doesn't have a label on him saying, this is Josh Brolin. I don't know. Josh Brolin has a distinct face. It was just easy for me to pick him out like immediately. Maybe it's because I saw it the other way. Like, I saw him growing up first in the films. But still, though, I feel like I would still recognize him. I guess not. Yeah. I guess when you see it in reverse, because, like, I see Josh Brolin now as both the guy from No Country for Old Men, which we just did an episode on, so you should go ahead and listen to that, and Thanos and Cable from Deadpool. Those are pretty much the roles I know him from, and I think he was in one of the Men in Black. Three. He was young Agent J, I think. Yeah, okay. Those are the movies I know him from. And so to go back and see him as a literal baby face was definitely a strange experience. 
Yeah, it was also weird going back to see him kind of be a bit of a weakling. You know, he was kind of getting a little bit bullied, stuff like that. And pretty much everything I've ever seen him in outside of that film, he was a badass or like a super tough guy. So it was interesting. Oh, yeah. I think that's what people know Josh Brolin as now is like the tough guy in the movies, because that's all he plays now. Yeah, I feel like it was ever since his debut. I could be wrong, though. I, I don't know too many of his 90s films, but definitely after 2000. Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I forgot about that. That actually, I did like him in that role. Venture, you probably never saw that. I've never heard of it. Okay, so have you seen the Invisible Man movie with Elizabeth Moths? I think so. I think I've seen all of the Invisible Mans. So Hollow Man was a different studio interpretation of the Invisible Man movie from the 30s. This is my favorite interpretation, FYI. Basically, they did the same thing as they did in the first original Invisible Man, where they used science and chemistry to create a serum to make a person invisible. And Bacon just lost his morality and sanity as he prolonged his invisibleness and went around and started... Hey, don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Fine, fine. <laughs> we can me... do it on another podcast. Yeah, back it up. You can go watch it and you can come talk to us later. How about that? Okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. I can I can handle that. But back on to the Goonies. I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's going to be something I would rewatch pretty much ever. But if I had to rewatch it, I wouldn't hate it. And reason for that being is I guess I'm just not as nostalgic toward 80s movies that are for children or kids movies, teenage movies from the 80s. They just don't do much for me besides being an entertaining story, which this really was. It didn't feel too much like a kids movie would be nowadays where they go on an adventure and they're overpowered as hell. But this I enjoyed. I thought it was really well done. Each of the characters felt pretty balanced and it was fun. I liked it. But I want to ask both of you guys, Regent, what was your first interaction with the Goonies? So this was two and a half years before I was brought into the world. So it had to be in the early 90s when it was being played on television through like TNT and USA. I think TNT played it more. But I grew up watching like a lot of the 80s movies, like your cult movies like this, It, the Stephen King original It, and other movies like that because of my brothers, because they were both movie people at the time. Actually, my middle brother is still a movie guy. They got me to watch this and like the Indiana Jones movie, which please go check that out, and other major 80s movies. But it's kind of funny that you mentioned about like the teenage movies, so, like movies like these with like all the kids. The same underlying theme has always been the power of friendship and like staying together and you'll see through everything with like your, your closest group of friends. So that was always a nice nod to that type of film mentality. But yeah, my siblings have been the biggest focus of how I was able to watch this movie. Okay, okay. What about you, Cookie? My history with the film. So in general, some of my earliest memories I have is probably around about the age four. A lot of that actually kind of connects to like we were moving and I played a lot of video games. And at that time, it was the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System. We actually had the Goonies game. I was playing that before I actually ever saw the movie. So this would be around the early 90s when this is going on. And bouncing off a of Regent, I can actually say it was the same thing for me about TNT, TBS, or whatever TV stations at that point was just replaying it pretty consistently just throughout the 90s and so forth. I only saw bits and pieces 
it was definitely not like you venture it wasn't because my parents wouldn't let me but i just never caught the beginning of the film so i would see the middle of it i saw the ending a lot more than i ever saw the full movie it's actually kind of really hilarious because while i was watching it there was a lot of like oh i know exactly what's going to happen pretty much in the second half so this recent watching for the podcast was the first time i've actually watched it fully beginning to end but throughout my life, I actually saw the second half a, a lot. That's that's the part I remember, especially like the falling piano scene. Like I've seen that so many times because that's usually when I would pick up watching it. Yeah, that's my history with the film. I want to just say real quick that you played the game before you watched the movie. And very recently, we did an episode on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And you both gave me shit for playing the game before I watched the movie. <laughs> Here's the difference, though. We gave you shit because you played the Lego version of the movie. There is no regular version. Yeah, and I, I would feel like I had way less control at that point. Actually, yes, there was. Indiana Jones was on the original Xbox series. There's literally a game cover art of him with the whip, and it literally goes between, goes between Raiders of the Lost Ark and Temple of Doom. So, yeah, there was. But... I could also argue I did see quite a bit of the film, but before I was like six, seven or eight years old, it's just I didn't see the entire thing. Fair, but my point still stands. You played the <laughs> game before you watched the movie. Yes, yes. You get half credit. I get half credit. And the game was fun. I had a good time with it. I didn't know they made a game for the Goonies. That's really interesting. Yeah, especially in the 80s, they made a lot of stuff for the Nintendo system based off of movies back then. Definitely started the whole, like, if it's a big movie, we're going to make a video game based off of it. Uh, hence the Shrek games. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do like Shrek. We should do that in that time. So I would like to go ahead and share my opinion about the film because I feel like it's similar to yours venture because I've recently watched it all the way through. Even back then, growing up, I wasn't really hooked on the film. I enjoyed it even as a kid, like the whole idea of adventure. As a huge movie person, I easily had so many opportunities to catch up and finally watch the whole film. Honestly, just didn't care. And watching it this time all the way through, it solidified it for me. It's not that it's a bad movie. I think it's a good movie. There's some good stuff. I feel like it was filmed really, really well, especially like the updated versions that they've done. You know, they, the HD update and the 4K release, like they actually look really good. They did a really good job making the film. However, my biggest gripe is I feel like the movie is too long. I feel like there was definitely some chunks that could have been cut out. I kind of got bored somewhere in the middle pieces, like the beginning. I feel dragged out a bit too much in the middle just there was some stuff I feel we could have skipped and then the ending is pretty solid but even then with the ship there was some stuff I counted it it was about 15 minutes of where it was almost like they were repeating the same stuff near the end of the film that they could have easily just done one time trying to escape and so forth it was like the bad guys did this now the good guys did that and then the bad guys did this and the kids did that so I didn't regret watching this one but I'm pretty much good to go I don't care to rewatch the movie unfortunately for anyone who loves the movie and I actually know a bunch of friends who love the movie so i'm sorry guys yeah i know a bunch of people who like this movie as well but it just doesn't do it for me completely i guess maybe i don't have that nostalgia factor going for me at this point but i agree with you on that aspect of the ending where the movie felt too long and boring at some points and they could have cut stuff out but on the ending it feels like when someone writes a novel and they're like 600 pages in they're like all oh, right this has to have an ending they got on the ship they found the treasure they beat the bad guys at the end that's what the <laughs> ending felt like to me yeah, yeah exactly exactly I, I can agree with that because it did feel like out of nowhere like a snap and it's like oh yeah here we go 
They beat the bad guys. It reminds me of that meme where it's like Thanos in the MCU is this big powerful god, but Thanos in the comics gets arrested by the local law enforcement. <laughs> because like they're these murderers and mob who are counterfeit printing money they're murdering people left and right keeping them in the freezer and then law enforcement new shows up and they're like ah, i guess we gotta turn ourselves in <laughs> oh, gotta love the 80s tropes man but region what do you, do you think about the film on your rewatch Oh man, pretty much nostalgia was really my internal response to it. But I'd have to piggyback off both of you and say like, I would only watch this movie again for nostalgia purpose. Or if I wanted to go back to my childhood, which I know it comes back to nostalgia yet again. But if I want to watch something that reminisces my childhood, I watch with my brothers and I just want to put a good movie on in the background. While I'm doing something else, I could put that on and have it play in the background. Yeah, I don't even know if I could do that. Oh, I couldn't. There's so many other things I would choose. I put Space Jam on. Before I would put on. I'm just saying specifically for this movie, but no, I can definitely put other things on the background, like Spotify, or maybe you know, all of our episodes with Cinematic Rewind. <gasps> <laughs> As we take commercial break. Dun, dun. Okay, to actually dive into this movie, I think they handled the larger cast really well. I feel like you got introduced to each character and their different quirks and what makes them them, and they did it really well. And then they balanced them all out, never feeling like one stole the spotlight from the other. Yes, of course, Sean Astin did see a lot of the spotlight, but it didn't feel like it took away from any of the other characters at all. And that I really appreciated. So I feel like they handled the larger cast, especially of children, really well. Yeah, I can agree with that. I liked everybody in the film for the most part. I feel like everyone fit well. I never felt like I got tired of anyone. I think really the only gripe I have with the film is just the length of it. Because outside of that, I do feel like the script was well written. It was an interesting story for the most part, especially Adventure of Kids. I enjoyed the villains. There were some cheesy times in the film where like the guy would get the gun, but he would drop it. And then by the time he picks up the gun, the kids disappear. Things like that where it was like, you could definitely see is definitely a kids fun type of movie this was like the early versions of a lot of the cheesy 90 films that i grew up on and regent probably remembers some of those too yeah i do i feel like this set up a lot of those tropes Yep. Like Home Alone. Think about Home Alone. Home Alone is a great example of that, where you got these two grown guys who could have easily came in guns a blazing or could have hurt Macaulay Culkin and stuff like that. But they're always making mistakes. It's always coincidental. They just can't seem to do whatever they need to do. I have to give credit to this because this might be the earliest of a film like this. Yeah, I definitely will give it credit that it started a lot of the tropes and a lot of the different things that carried on into 90s movies and still happens in more modern kids adventure films where the bad guys for some reason are absolute blittering idiots who can't seem to just be like, you know what, I'm gonna take the shot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna let them get away for two minutes and I'm gonna catch them and then taunt them and then I'm gonna let them talk me out of it or a random character that we introduced halfway into the movie is gonna knock me out. Mm -hmm. And knock me out with a brick that just drops on my head. <laughs> Either a brick or a shuffle. Now, speaking of how I keep bringing up the length of the film, NBC actually only shows a shorter version of the film. So the film runs for two hours, I believe, and they cut it down to an hour and a half. And I haven't specifically seen that version, but I feel like that would be a better version of the film. And I would actually ask you to, like, do you feel if the movie was shorter? I mean, would we really lose out on anything cutting out 20, 30 minutes out of the film? I don't think so. No. 
I feel like we're all sort of very much on the same page. I, I know Regent's a lot more nostalgic about this movie, but when it comes to the the faults and the flaws of the movie, I, I feel like we're all on the same page. Correct. Now, I got some interesting facts to share with you all. Now, Sean Astin, he got to keep the map after the film, okay? Because we know the map was a big piece. That was something nice. His mom, one day, a couple years down the road, saw it was sitting somewhere and thought it was a piece of trash and threw it away. Oh. <gasps> No. Time to get a new mom. <laughs> yep, she really thought it was trash and just threw it away. Could you imagine how much that map would have been worth? <laughs> the thing could have probably been more than the house they were living in for all they knew. <laughs> probably. I feel like a lot of collectors nowadays, especially your big 80s, 90 fan, would pay a handsome fee for that map. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, if you put that framed up, yeah, I mean... I don't have the specifics, but I did find it. One of the baseball cards that was pointed out in the film, it's worth like half a million dollars. It was like a crazy amount of money. So that was another thing that's in the film. And I could only imagine how, how much the, all the other props could have been worth the film. But that was actually like a in real life kind of thing that was worth a lot of money. Speaking with the film, this would have made it a longer film. But kind of interesting is that they did cut out a scene where they were going to fight a octopus. I will say this. I do not know if it was filmed and it was cut or they didn't film it, even though they originally wanted to. That part I cannot say. Did not look into the deleted scenes of the film. But any fans out there, if you can validate that. I think it was cut. Because now that you say that, if you think during the end of the movie when the news crew is talking to the kids, one of them's like, yeah, we had to fight an octopus. And they're like, an octopus? So they had to have filmed that. They did, and it was cut from final release because the actor who was playing Short Round that's in this movie as Data said that was the scariest scene that he had to film in the entire movie. Oh, and they probably cut it to keep the rating. Oh, yeah. And we, we know about Steven Spielberg because he produced this. We know about him in ratings. <laughs> that's a common theme. Yeah, because I think this is what? This is 1985 and Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom was 1984. Mm-hmm. So this is right after they implemented PG-13. So they probably wanted to keep PG. Now, speaking of that, the swearing in the film, they were very strategic about the swearing for both those reasons. There's another one is that, so the first one is what you're speaking about to make sure they're not going to hit the PG-13. They can keep within a certain limit. The next piece is it's for the broadcasting on TV. Steven Spielberg kind of already knew, and the director too, they already knew that this film was going to be played over and over broadcasted. So they purposely had it where a lot of cussing was around loud noises or could even easily be edited out and if you ever seen 90s movies being edited for cable tv it's always funny because like someone will start cussing and then a random voice will come in you know it'd be like some weird awkward voice and it'd be like mother loving snakes on this mother loving plane <laughs> over <laughs> samuel jackson you know stuff like that so instead of having to have something cheesy like that they had it where like okay there's rocks crumbling and someone says like holy shit the the rocks crumbling can be increased louder so it can be like holy you know rock sounds i have to commend them on that is that they purposely filmed it that way and edited it to help the future broadcast of the film which worked out great yeah that's actually really cool now that you mentioned that it it makes sense i think there's only one instance where the cussing actually didn't really work out that way i think it was sean astin was out like outside right after the businessman i think he said shit and i think i remember watching it on tv and it literally just goes quiet for like two seconds while he says it mm -hmm. but the rest of it that does make sense 
Yeah, it's very interesting. I was thinking about this when I was writing it, is that at what time period in history, when they were making films, they thought about, I don't know if you use the term syndication, but the broadcasting is that what point in cinema history, they were like, okay, guys, this is going to be put on TV pretty regularly, or they're going to, you know, every couple months or something like that. So in 1985, they already had that knowledge. I wonder how far back was it 60s or the 70s where they're like, okay, if we make this movie, they're going to put it on regular cable TV as well. Yeah, I don't know. That's like a interesting question. I think around 84, 85, when the rating system was being changed, that would have been where people started to think about, okay, this stuff is going on TV, it has to stay within these limits. And we need this, this and this in order to make sure that it can be put onto channels during the daytime so people can see our movie. Yeah, and I think in this case, too, speaking of that, is that it's a kid's movie. So I think that also helps it out, too, is that they knew they had a higher chance of that happening versus some other type of films. Yeah, who who knows? So I wanted to talk about some of my favorite things about this movie. One being any time they rile up Chunk and he gets mad or any scene that Chunk is in is absolutely hilarious and I love it. I think it's some of the greatest bits of this movie. And I especially love when they're interrogating him and he's just crying, spilling everything. Like, one time I cheated on my fifth grade math test. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I laughed. That was that was great. But I want to ask both of you, what were some of your favorite things about this movie? And I'll go to you first, Cookie. The movie definitely had memorable scenes. And those are the ones that pop up the most. And I think that's actually why I would stop to watch it as a kid. The whole pirate ship sequence. As a kid, I didn't really care about the length of it. Now, as an adult, I, I feel like we could have chopped some of those pieces out. But I'm going to go by what I enjoyed as a kid. really liked that whole thing. It felt very mystical. It was really cool that they went through all this to get to this pirate ship. And there was all this gold. And it just felt so adventurous. And then they had the bad guys that they had to fight. That is definitely one of my favorite scenes and then chunk i did enjoy his stuff i think more from a kid perspective i enjoyed his stuff and they were they definitely knew what they were doing when they had him do all his kind of stuff especially doing the truffle shuffle <laughs> everybody does truffle shuffle, you know i think that's the most iconic scene and then of course the hey you guys <laughs> outside of that the other one that sticks out for me the most that I really enjoy, and even on a rewatch, I still enjoy it, was the whole the piano scene with the ground falling. It reminded me about Indiana Jones a lot. There was definitely some elements that reminded me of Indiana Jones, but that part, I really liked that whole idea because I, I like the whole idea of the contraption. On a rewatch, I thought more into it. I was like, wow, that'd be really cool that someone took the time to kind of booby trap that kind of thing where it's like, because it's not a regular piano. You know, it was like skeleton fingers, if I remember correctly. It's like that kind of stuff. So it was just really cool the design and then the concept of it and it was supposed to bring the drawbridge down as long as you played the right stuff if not you're going to fall to your doom i really like that sequence that would be a piano that i would have even though i, I can't play piano but it'd be a badass looking you know a little set piece to have yeah oh yeah what about you regent what's your favorite bits I mean, Cookie said a couple of mine, the truffle shuffle, the hey, you guys. Pam's seen absolutely, but one of my favorite was the point of view of them going down the water slide and then flying out into the actual water where the ship was. Like, I always thought as a kid, that'd be so cool to, like, be shot out of a slide and fall, like, 20, 30 feet into, like, a pool of water. Like, I always thought that'd be an interesting, fun aspect. I also like the one bit where they make the gremlins reference when they're talking about their pranks to the officer. Like, oh, like that last, like that last prank, like those things 
that multiply when you spread water on them. And that was a nice little tongue-in-cheek to the Gremlins movie because that was coming out in that same decade, and that was a popular movie as well for a cult film. I didn't catch the Gremlins reference probably because I've never seen it. Yeah, I caught it. I think one of the th- biggest things that bothered me about this movie is the fact of the booby traps. Yes, I can appreciate it. it's a, a kid's movie. I get that. Don't come at me on that. But the fact of these whatever year pirates, eight, I think they said 1600s, built all these contraptions that are one-time use. And I have no clue. I'm baffled how they set all that up and then how they got a pirate ship in there. Then they're just like, you know what? Let's make all those rocks go down. And then whenever someone goes to steal gold out of this thing, it's going to kill everyone. Yeah, you're already putting too much thought into it. I know, I know. I can't even entertain past that point because it's like, you're going to break the logic. <laughs> I know, but it was one of the things like while watching it, I couldn't help but think about. Especially first thing in the movie when Chunk shows up, does the truffle shuffle, and then Sean Astin shows up and he hits like this little thing. I'm like, y'all set that up for one time gate opening just in case someone showed up? Or do you do this on the regulator? I would just jump that fence. It, it didn't even look that tall. No, it didn't. No, in Chunk's defense, Chunk's probably couldn't get <laughs> over oh, that Oh, no. Wall. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. Something interesting behind the scenes. Michael Jackson visited the set while it was being, <laughs> being put together, when it was being filmed. So I don't, know if, I don't know if you ever was a fan of Michael Jackson Venture, but that was a big deal for MJ to show up. I know who he is, and I've listened to a couple of his songs. I wouldn't say I'm his biggest supporter, but I've enjoyed some of his music. He was a decent size influence in my my upbringing, mostly because my mom was a huge fan of his. And then he was also just a very big icon growing up in the 90s and early 2000s. Facts. Regent, you're more of an MJ fan, aren't you? Yeah, I grew up listening to his entire discography. My parents gave me well, a CD copy of Thriller when I was growing up. And ever since then, I listened to all of his earlier work and all the way up to, I think his last album that he recorded was Invincible. Yeah, that was his last he recorded album. Everything else after that was like the estate releasing either extra content or Justin Timberlake did that Escape album, which was like a lot of the unreleased music that was reproduced by him, things like that. But yeah, he was a huge influence on my musical taste, at least as a kid up until when i was a teenager and then i flipped the script on that now venture i have a question for you did you pick up on the superman reference when sloth had opened his shirt did you figure that was just a regular thing or did you figure out what it was meant to well yeah he i, I figured that was a superman reference since later on in the movie he wore a superman shirt ah there's a way bigger one connection Plus, Superman always rips his shirt open for some reason. I swear he spends so much money on button downs, dude. I can only imagine how much money he has. Probably not a lot. But anyway, to the point, though, there is still a way bigger reference. Now I want to actually ask Regent. He may know. Do you know Regent outside of what Venture said? Unfortunately, no, because I didn't really look around to pick up on it. However, back to his previous comment about Superman with button down shirt. Do you really think mall security are going to stop, you know, Superman from just walking up, grabbing a shirt and walking out? But Superman wouldn't do that. He's a good guy. Oh, no. Let's not go that. <laughs> Let's not go that, that route. Back to the Goonies. To the Goonies. Where I was trying to go with this is Richard Donner. Oh, he. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Richard Donner, Superman. Richard Donner directed Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I didn't know either until I looked it up and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, once you make the connection, it's so obvious at that point. Yeah, I didn't know he directed this, but I did know he directed Superman. 
Mm -hmm. Some other stuff behind the scenes is that the thing that creeped me out was like 98% of the skeletons in the movie was real. Yes, I know. Isn't it great? Yeah, <laughs> that would creep me out as a kid, like being on set and it's all these skeletons like, oh, gosh. <laughs> That's actually a thing that was hugely popular back in 80s and 90s movies is that they couldn't afford to make so many skeletons that they would legitimately just use actual human skeletons that were donated. This actually happened into the early 2000s for Lord of the Rings. They used real human skeletons as well. I didn't know that. Wow. I, I, I like my skeletons, man. Like I said, I would have that piano just because it's made of like skeleton stuff. Now that makes more sense. I thought you wanted it just for decoration. It's like, I'm into skeletons. <laughs> They're cool, dude. I have like six skulls around my room. Did you know it's legal to own a human skull? I mean, you are <laughs> a human skeleton. <laughs> yeah. As a decor item, you can legitimately buy a human skull and it's not illegal. Fun fact. I never knew it was a legal issue to begin with. Yeah. I mean, now don't get me wrong. Like, if police ever see you have skeletons in your, you know, home or something, I think they may question that. And I couldn't blame them. I think each one you would buy has to come with some level of certification or, yeah, certification to say where you got it and how it was acquired. Most of mine are either glass or they're painted gold. So I don't think they're really going to pitch a fit about the ones I have. I've got probably my most favorite thing about this movie that I would have never known until I looked this up is that if you take the time to really look into the newspapers and so forth, the clocks and, and time in the movie, you'll find out it takes place in October 1985. Not only that, it actually takes place at the same time that the Back to the Future film technically takes place. Because you remember that whole thing it was like October 25th, 1985. Yeah, that's when this movie takes place. What? So think about just <laughs> all the way across the you know states of the world. Where actually, where did this movie take place? That's just think about it. Oregon. Yeah, just think states away. That's where you got Marty McFly, <laughs> like going back in time and doing all that stuff, all the hijinks. I mean, the movies are not connected, but it's still just cool that it's technically like the same day. Now I don't know if Spielberg, you know, or whoever. I can't remember which film came out first, but I don't know who if that was just a strange coincidence or whatnot. But it's still pretty cool. Yeah, maybe. I, I think the directors and the producers of this movie just decided to throw in a bunch of Easter eggs and stuff from the other their other works that they were either working on currently or had done. Yeah. And you never know. I mean, for legal reasons, I can understand sometimes they might not share it, even though they purposely do that stuff. You know, sometimes like when people inspire certain works, you don't really want to tell the public that because you don't want that person trying to sue you saying like, oh, you stole my idea, even though you were inspired by them. I think that's also another layer, too, where there can be coincidences that they purposely did, but they don't say it outright. They just leave it to be interpreted. I, yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's a legal thing. Now, speaking of legal, hey, this brings up this one. I was a bit bothered with the film that they couldn't get more of the m money from the ship and and they just saw the ship going. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, OK, what would I do in this situation? Like, would I be like, hey, guys, get me a boat. And I would try to take the, you know, get to the ship or something like that. I was just thinking of different scenarios. Like, how would that play out? Who would own it? I, and, you know, and I just kind of kept it to myself. Apparently, someone did look into it. I don't know if you all know, but there is something in the legal system is that Mikey would have actually owned it because he was able to take the contents away from the ship. So there's there's like some I, I didn't dig too, too deep. It's like a, spe a special term that they use. But Mikey is technically the owner of that pirate ship. 
And, and that's, is that applicable to all states or just the state that this takes place in? Because I know... The state that it took place in. Okay. I was about to say, because I know when I went down to North Carolina, the Outer Banks, like I would always, you know, think about finding pirate's gold because there's, you know, a lot of pirate stuff down there when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And we looked into it and one of the ranger, park rangers there says, if you find any sort of gold or treasure, you actually have to turn it into the state. Yeah. And I think that might be, I don't know too much about their state, but I know with North Carolina that ever since we've ever been a thing that is kind of our, like part of our history. So I know early on, that's why they did that is that they kind of knew pretty quickly, like, Hey, we want dips on all this stuff. But yeah, in their state, it wasn't based off of piratship. It was just based off of the whole concept of if someone had owned something and then, you know, a certain amount of time has gone by and then it hasn't been claimed, it's kind of open to the next person to discover and they can own it. Wow. So like a finder's keepers type deal. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, a part of that was going to bother me because I mean, let's be for real. We, we do live in a greedy society. So like those kids could have got that ship, could have had the right to it, but I could easily see someone of influence, you know, screwing them over and taking all the go like, Oh, you know, we, we legally get to keep this because this was on our waters or some dumb crap like that. So kind of like what you thought into in a different section of the movie, I thought a lot into that section of the movie. Like how would this work though? I think if they ever did a sequel to the Goonies, it would be the follow-up of what happens after, like where they got the ship. And I think Sean Astin would be the one working at the museum at the One-Eyed Willie exhibit. And then people would try and lay claim to whatever he found. I think that would be what they would do for a sequel. Please don't make a sequel. Please don't make a sequel. If they if they did, I think they would have done it by now. Oh, yeah, yeah. How much they milk that stuff. Now, speaking of this pirate ship, the pirate ship was actually real. They actually really built that. They put that together and made it a real functioning pirate ship. And at the end of filming, they actually let it be known that if you want it, you get to keep it. No cost. Sadly, no one on set wanted it. So they took it apart. No one wanted the ship? I know that hurt me too. <laughs> and I love like the Pirates of Caribbean films and stuff. I'm like, what? Now, don't get me wrong. Whoever would have took it, I wouldn't doubt they were responsible past that point. So you have to figure out how to get it to wherever you need to house it and all that jazz. But I mean, wow. Could you imagine the, the challenge about filming sometimes is that you don't know if it's going to be a hit. Because could you imagine if someone kept that ship and put it up for a museum? Oh, gosh, man. You know that thing would have been a moneymaker. Imagine rolling up to the joint in a freaking pirate ship. Yeah, <laughs> like a boss. And then years down the road, you still, you know, um, whatever you call it, the term with the ship, you still sail the ship. So you're like, yo, this was in the Goonies and people are going nuts. Like what? And then you have the cast do a reunion on there. People oh. would pay so much money to do that. And you could sell photos, do photo ops. I mean... Like the ship itself would have been a moneymaker to take care of you for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah, easily, dude. Because I think they did do a reunion for the Goonies over Skype or something or Zoom. I think it's Josh Gad who's been doing a lot of these film reunions for older movies. Mm -hmm. And they could have easily done that on the ship if someone had kept it. Yep. Wow. That's why that I had to tell you all that. Like, wow, no one wanted it and they just took it apart. That hurts my soul. Oh, man. Oh, well, that's a lot of a lot of good trivia. So any final notes before we go ahead and close this episode out? 
Yeah, I'd like to share one more thing with everybody because I thought this was really cool what they did for the kids of the film. In the final scene on the beach, they allowed the kids to have their parents be a part of the crowd. So I just thought that was really neat. I never even put that together. So if I was to ever rewatch it, I would kind of probably look at like who who looks like what kids parent kind of thing. But yeah, I thought that was really, really nice and special for them to do that because they didn't have to do that kind of thing. Everybody's parents was there to make sure the kids was safe for the filming of, of the movie. And then they got to be like, hey, guys, come on, join in party. Outside of that, though, I think it is a good movie. I would give it definitely a seven out of 10. You know, that safe average number. It's not a movie I would ever care to rewatch again. And that's no disrespect to it. It's just not my cup of tea. But I really did appreciate the cinematography behind it. The story is solid. If it was shorter, I think I actually could say I would rewatch it or enjoy it. But as the full length that it was meant to be, one time's good enough for me. I'm going to go ahead and give it a 5 out of 10, just due to the fact of it's not a movie I would ever rewatch on purpose. I enjoyed the film. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was something amazing or mind-blowing. It has good quotability, and it has some memorable moments, but the biggest thing this movie has going for it, in my opinion, is nostalgia. Example given, Regent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 5 out of 10 for me. And I would have to say a 7 out of 10 because of nostalgia. Without nostalgia, I'm probably around 6 to 6.5 out of 10. All right. Sounds like we're around the same. I'm the only one who differs. Thank you both for joining me for this episode of The Goonies. It's been a great adventure. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, listeners, for listening. If you did enjoy a like or a share on whichever platform you happen to be listening on, would be absolutely fantastic and would help our show out a lot. And it is absolutely free to you. Also, leave a review if you are feeling ever so kind. That also is a free way to support the show. And yeah, thank you very much for listening. There is an email below that you can go ahead and send us movies. Or if you want to say your podcast sucks, don't do that, but it is there for you. So go ahead and do that. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a wonderful day.